Hello and welcome back to the Bristol and Bath Lifting Club podcast. My name is Mark. And my name is Liam and I can't believe you actually did it right. That's that's a real improvement. I've been practicing. I know, you've been doing real good. Well done. (laughs) (laughs) So, last time we were apparently supposed to be talking about the back, yeah? Yeah, back training. But we just talked about CrossFit instead. (laughs) We really went off on a tangent there. And uh, rather plump ladies falling down the hill and uh, splatting midgets. Only if they stayed on for the Patreon. Yeah. So what people don't realise is that on the extended edition in the Patreon, we may talk about stories and such which we should not really be talking about publicly. (laughs) There also is now, with every episode, a poem. And last week's poem was all about a lady falling down a hill and crushing a midget, right? But you have to go on <laughs> Patreon in order to read that. Now, um, the reason I'm saying that is twofold. One is to advertise the Patreon, and the other is just so that, because there is a CrossFit poem, if I mention CrossFit at all today, that is grounds for including the CrossFit versus Powerlifter poem in this week's description on the Patreon, you see. So there we go. I've mentioned CrossFit, so I look forward to writing that one. <laughs> But today we're talking back. So, how do you attack the back without back breaking attack. it? Without breaking it. So, one common misconception that I feel like people have an idea about is the back being really brittle and made out of glass. But actually, the back is one of the strongest muscle groups in the body and it can be attacked with high intensity. So weights very close to your one rep max. And it can also be attacked with high amounts of volume. People baby the back though. Do you think that tribal elders, old biddies, do you think that they complain and moan about their backs? No. Okay, why do you think that is? Some random tribe in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Probably because they're picking up stones and shit. It's because they don't live in a Western society. And in a Western society you can measure the the rate of decay on people's like athletic ability from the ages of two years old. Wow. Yeah, that's scary, particularly with squat depth and stuff like that. Wow. It literally makes a difference from two years old, and that's because at that age you start to be introduced to schools, nursery schools, that sort of thing, and then you're forced to sit in chairs. Also, like your average person probably spends quite a few too many hours on their phone on social media yeah constantly rounding their shoulders in a really bad position yeah you don't have no cell phone reception or mobile phone reception in the middle of the jungle or in the middle of the desert they're too busy being awesome they're too busy yeah doing stuff i don't know probably just surviving really yeah so i've noticed that there are more and more younger people that are complaining about their backs. And it's not necessarily just a case of like worrying about it because a lot of people worry about any sort of movement where they have to support their own body weight and don't get to sit in a chair and pull something or yank on a cable or something like that. But it's mainly about people that are complaining about that they already have aches and pains and problems with their back and they're only in their 20s. Do you know what? I've been in and out of chiropractors most of my life. Um, and that came from playing rugby. Yeah. I got so many back injuries playing rugby. It was ridiculous. And you know what solved it? Pendele roll. <laughs> Close. <laughs> it was getting stronger at deadlifts. Ah. So once I got pretty strong at deadlifts, 
Um, the lower back pain went away. My back became a lot more bulletproof and I haven't been to the chiropractor since. There are a number of people that work with people specifically with back issues um, that are utilizing deadlifts for helping people with back pain. There's an interesting study I read about it where they were actually using basically primarily deadlifts to help people with issues with lower back pain and stuff like that, mm -hmm. which I thought was quite interesting because a lot of people are scared of deadlifting because they think that it will mess up their back. I was in that exact same boat. So when I get on getting injured from rugby, um, everyone was telling me, do deadlifts, deadlifts. Mm. But I, I didn't because I thought it was a dangerous exercise and it's often portrayed as quite a dangerous exercise. What, like, during junior gym hour? Yeah, especially during junior <laughs> gym. But it's seen as this like, risky exercise that you should kind of shy away from. But that kept me injured. That kept me stuck for a very long time with shying away from it rather mm. than embracing it and actually getting you know, a somewhat decent deadlift. That's what I feel like a lot of lifters should be doing as one of many lifting goals, it should be get your deadlift pretty strong. So if someone's a complete beginner, but they want an understanding of what actually means, or what it actually means to train the back health-wise and for growth and strength and stuff like that, yeah, what would a very generic statement be? So I always say there's like a holy trinity when it comes to the back training. Um, the first part of that triangle is a heavy deadlift. So mm -hmm. a heavy hip hinge movement. I say that is one of the things you need to be training. Mm -hmm. And then the other two is a horizontal pulling motion. So like a barbell row, mm -hmm. a penley row, or a dumbbell row. And some sort of vertical pulling uh, variation. So pull up or a shin up, preferably weighted if you can build up to that. And if you can't do those, then some sort of lat pull down variation. Mm -hmm. If you just do those three and get pretty strong at those movements, your back's going to be pretty well developed and pretty strong. Yeah, so it's more than one exercise because sometimes people will think that, oh, well, the back, I mean, I know is important. I know it's big and stuff like that, but I'll just pick one exercise for it and that will do. You're advocating that actually people put a little bit more thought into rather than just the back that then back might be comprised of you know multiple states like the united states they're not all the same are they <laughs> you go to uh california and it's rather different than texas yeah from what i'm told i've never been to either i've never been to the states i need to get out there my wife's been quite a few times so hopefully we'll go together but no do you think that it's worth learning what the muscle names and stuff like that are or is it not really that important? Can you just get away with just saying, I need to fix this, this, and this as a staple in my kind of weightlifting program? Yeah, I mean, I don't think you need to learn all the names of the muscles in the back, but I do feel like you need to learn the movement patterns. Mm. So what is a horizontal pull? What is a vertical pull? What is a hip hinge? And then once you learn those movement patterns, that will hit most of the muscles in the back. You know, the deadlift will hit the spinal rectors and the traps. So your upper back and your lower back is going to be getting a ton of work. And then the vertical and horizontal pulls will hit the lats, will hit the rhomboids, will hit the rear delts to an extent. Your back's going to be pretty well developed just training these three. 
What is your favourite back exercise? I know what yours is. <laughs> Everyone knows what mine is. <laughs> um, for a long time, it was heavy dumbbell rows. So you strap oh, up okay. and use a little bit of body English. It's called a croc row um, by Matt oh, Croc. Oh, croc rows. Yeah. yeah, they look dirty. They are dirty. They are dirty rows. Um, you use a ton of body English, but you move a ton of weight. Mm. Um Rows don't have to be super strict either. Everyone thinks they do. They don't. There's a time and place for strict rows, but there's a time and place for really dirty, heavy rows as well. Even ugly rows need prom days. Well, the strict rows, the time for that is normally called the warm-up, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly right. Basically, that's kind of how I teach uh, when people do any sort of row, is literally is that you are wanting perfect form but you should only probably be able to do perfect flawless form whilst you're doing your warm-up exactly i mean i've always thought if you're rowing weight that's below your own body weight Mm. chances are it's not gonna build the muscle that you're after on your back so yeah do perfect form during your warm-ups but it's okay to get a little bit down and dirty with the heavier weights Mm. and also you have like um strict variations in anyway like the seal row or like a chest-supported machine row. You can keep those super strict if you want. But for like the heavy barbell stuff, the dumbbell stuff, the penlays, yeah, get a bit of English in there. So how much do you tend to vary it? Because there's an issue with, uh, I think, what a lot of people tend to do is what they call program hopping. So they flip from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next, and they might have like 10 or so different exercises that they want, they want to try, or 10 or different exercise programs that they want to try which i never really advocate that yeah i always think that your next exercise program is based on the information that you glean from the one that you've just fucking done yep (laughs) you probably shouldn't have like three already planned yeah exactly i mean i'm a big fan of maximizing uh, my exercise selection but Mm. i I by no means train everything at the same time Mm. So I usually will run an exercise for a training block. And then if it plateaus, I'll switch it out for a similar exercise. But if that exercise is still progressing, even at the end of a training block, I'll just keep it in. Don't mm. fix what isn't broken. Um, but usually I'll rotate between like a barbell row and a penne row or a heavy dumbbell row. And then um, for my vertical sort of pulling movements, I'll rotate between pull-ups, chin-ups and uh, heavy lap pull-downs. But I very rarely train everything at the same time, you know. Like I wouldn't go in and do a back day and train every variation under the sun. Although I have done that before mm. and it was very detrimental. But yeah, I'll just rotate through exercises when and if I need to. Simple as that. Well, you see that from bodybuilding training because I've, I heard someone say not too long ago and it made me think and I thought, actually, that is a very good point. I need to steal that. Um, and that is someone that said... So basically, powerlifting is a lot of strength, big compound movements that are designed for strength and to get you stronger. And then you involve a little bit of accessory work in order to kind of make your lifts stronger, essentially. But you're focusing on those main lifts. Whereas a lot of bodybuilding is literally, let's just ditch the main... main exercise and let's just focus on building and program complete with just accessory motions and when i watch people do bodybuilding specific programs like complete beginners i'm not talking about necessarily advanced people that might need it it is literally about i'll go to this back machine and then i'll go to that back machine and then i'll go this and then i'll go that and it's like 
I can understand because you're doing a back day. Yeah. You're doing your chest one day. You're doing your arms one day. You're doing your back one day. You're doing your legs one day. But you're skipping that one because it's a Friday and you might go to the, <laughs> the pub garden. No one wants to do squats. Everyone you wants know. to drink after work. But no, it, it does make me think, oh, that's there. There, there is to a certain extent some method in the madness of doing something like that in terms of... But people are mistaking that as a beginner, you're not probably not going to be focused on on getting every single individual muscle and trying to train every individual muscle with an individual exercise. Really what you're talking about with accessory work, the whole point is that it's supposed to be there for a reason to overcome mm-hmm. a plateau, an issue, what have you. Exactly. So with back and any muscle or anything like that, it would depend on what level you're at from an experience and strength perspective obviously you're at an advanced level so your program might look a bit different than someone else's and the terminology that you're going to use is going to be a little bit different Mm. they're not going to understand what you meant by half of the shit that you said (laughs) yeah probably (laughs) but that's, that's a really interesting point that you made about bodybuilders because a lot of bodybuilders nowadays, obviously the pros, they probably do train like that, you know, mm. but they're also on a ton of extra gear. Gear, Yeah. But if you look at the old school bodybuilders and what they were doing pre-drugs, yeah. even those bodybuilders were still prioritizing the compounds and increasing their performance on the big compound movements. Now, everything kind of works to an extent um, when it comes to lifting. As long as progression is taking place, you're most likely going to grow from out of what you do. But beginners tend to get stuck in these body part splits. They get stuck because they prioritize these isolation movements, um, the smaller movements, and then they end up not getting very far. Whereas what I would say, whether you're a powerlifter, strongman, bodybuilder, whatever, is that first year of training is build a strength base on the compound movements And then you can specialize and go into different things after that. But even if your goal is bodybuilding and you're prioritizing, you know, accessory lifts in that first year of training, get as strong as you possibly can on your compounds and then see about isolating stuff after that. That's what I would say for most people. And I got stuck. I got stuck in novice purgatory for a long time because I was training like that, prioritizing the accessories and not not prioritizing the compounds. Back in the 1940s, 1950s, there would be, if you first started in the gym, you were not allowed to add any weight whatsoever to the bar until after the first month. So there'd be a lot of coaches that would say, for the first month, you only use the bar, which Mm. to be fair, like a standard bar now is 20 kilos, but you would just learn the exercises for a month and then progress. That's interesting. interesting. I don't do that personally because I don't think that anyone would hire me if I forced them to just (laughs) use the bar. However, I have met a number of people who need to work up to using the bar. Yeah, I've met quite a few as well. um, There's something to be said for altering your program and going for a program based on what you have access to. Now, nowadays we have access to like gyms and I think a lot of the time regardless of your budget because i mean pure gym you can get access to pure gym for like 12 pounds a month unlimited you know off peak and then that's there's junior concessions and various other things for leisure centers and stuff i think that people can get caught up in uh, a hype or a cult or a brand or something that is 
got a bit of a following. So yeah. you'll see, and sometimes people kind of disagree that are very, very advanced or have a lot of experience and they disagree over minute kind of little bits and pieces like the powerlifters might disagree with the people that do calisthenics or one person says this or some people talk on a podcast shit about CrossFit or something like that, you know? <laughs> who are these people? <laughs> but I, I don't know who people like that would. I mean, you don't bully CrossFit. Yeah, CrossFit, you're okay. You're all right. It's your instructors we have a problem <laughs> yeah. with. Um, yeah. But things like that, I mean, people before they even start lifting or working out are already in a band camp and they go towards something. And I think that there can be, to a certain extent, a danger in that. Obviously, something is going to probably have inspired you and to inspire you to go into some form of fitness. It might be a sport or it might just be, I really watched the Olympics and I thought it was really cool, all of this stuff with, um, you know, uh, pulling up and all of that kind of stuff, athletic stuff. So I want to go and join an athletics gym. And then you go on the internet and you Google that sort of thing and you hear someone talking about, oh, don't go and lift barbells. Calisthenics is where it's all that. Or mm. you listen to a powerlifter that's been around for quite a while, mm. you know, who says like everyone else is weak and stupid and you need to do this sort of training or that mm. sort of training. And it can be a little bit culty before you even like pick up your first ever weight. Yeah, exactly. It, it really can. I mean, I, I compete in powerlifting and I love powerlifting, but I absolutely adore weighted calisthenics. Mm. And I credit the weighted dip and weighted push-ups to, to my bench press strength. Mm. Like for a long time, for years, I just didn't bench press because I didn't have access to a barbell, but I had access to a dip, dip bars. And, you know, first time underneath the barbell, I was able to rep 100 kilos without touching it. And that was mm. the power of weighted calisthenics. Mm. So the weighted dip if you want to improve your bench, it's one of the best movements you can do. So I've got nothing but respect for weighted calisthenics, calisthenics in general. Yeah, so there are standard full day, three day a week programs. A lot of them are very similar because they're probably going to focus on the big five. Fairly simple. You just need to get one of them. Mm -hmm. If you can't tr and you don't trust other people, then get your asses on the Patreon and download the one that <laughs> we've got. Come on. Yeah. Um, it's not that expensive compared to what the likes of uh, certain YouTubers and such are going to charge you for what's equivalent to literally just a list of exercises and then maybe a rep range. Exactly. Exactly. And what's funny about going back to bodybuilding quickly, back in, I'm not sure when it actually stopped, but bodybuilders used to have to have a strength standard before yes. they compete on stage. Yeah. They had to overhead press a certain amount of weight before they were even allowed to compete on stage. Yeah. So even back then, back in the old school bodybuilding days, building up your strength was super important. And I, I still kind of follow that philosophy now. Like bodybuilder, powerlifter, strongman, you need to get simply get stronger. Well, that still does exist in modern bodybuilding, but the, the weight that they have to do is now based on body weight, you see, because what they actually have to do is they need to be able to stand up on stage without passing out. <laughs> and that, for many of them, a challenge is itself. a real challenge. <laughs> I mean, you can, you can see the amount of issues that there's been with, like, how bodybuilding is. Yeah. It's getting really, really bad. Really Sadly, bad. more and more bodybuilders are dropping off mm. earlier and earlier. And uh, by dropping off, I mean they are dying. Yeah. Um, they get, it's getting younger and younger because the amount well, of gear the they're taking. Now. Yeah. In their 20s now, in their 20s. The amount of gear that they're taking in order to get on stage is just, it's just ridiculous. Um, I feel like natural bodybuilding is slowly kind of making a bit of a return. 
people are seeing what you can actually achieve naturally and are starting to get a bit more interested in that. And I think that's a really good thing for the sport. Where's that come from, though? Is that come from this aesthetic uh, YouTube kind of ziz era or is that coming from somewhere else, do you think? No, I think you're right. I think it's more of the aesthetic approach to natural lifting from YouTube. Not just YouTube, but just on social media in general. I feel like people are starting to get more aware of who's natural and who isn't. Mm. Um, people are starting to tell who's on the juice and who not to necessarily take advice from. Like, don't get me wrong, people who are on steroids, a ton of them know what they're doing. Of course they do. But what worked for them probably isn't going to work for your average natural gym goer, right? So I feel like people are getting more aware of who's uh, taking gear and who's not. And I feel like these people who aren't taking gear, who are, who have built a really good physique naturally, are starting to get more and more traction. All of the moose juice <laughs> and all of the sarms and the sarm goblins and that, yeah. you are literally playing Russian roulette with your health. And I've said before to clients and I've said to friends and people that if you are willing to spend money on something like that, and you're not competing in some form of competition that means that your life, you know, and you're putting food on the table for your family and stuff is not at stake. If this is purely out of ego and aesthetics, then you need to spend the money that you would be spending on counseling. Yeah. Because you have an issue and it's a mental health issue. Yeah, it's pretty serious. Uh, body dysmorphia going on there as well. It's pretty bad. I... People have asked me whether I would ever take steroids or not, and my answer for since I since I started has always been a definite no. Mm. I would never do that just to build a bit more muscle or to get a bit stronger. To, to me, it's not worth it, especially now being a new father. Yeah, um, it's just not worth it. And you you see these bodybuilders dropping off in their twenties and their thirties of like heart problems mm -hmm. and liver failure, all sorts of horrible stuff because of the juice. Like, is it really worth it to cut your life down that much just to lift a bit more weight or to look a little bit better? I would love to take steroids. Someone can crop, you know, chop this up and then just put this and take it out of context. But personally, I would absolutely love to go on steroids and I would definitely do it if I could be sure that there would be no negative health implications from doing that. And I am 99.999% sure that if I was to do it, I'd probably die. Yeah. Because I've got a family with history of heart conditions and all sorts of issues. And I don't think that I'd be one of those people that survived it at all. Is it cheating? Well, in terms of if you're just lifting for, you know, your own ego and for because you enjoy it and stuff like that. That's really a decision for you to make. If you're not entering into a natural competition or something like that, then it's up to you. But from my personal opinion, it's not worth it. It is extremely dangerous. There's a lot of people that are giving information out nowadays, which is basically, oh, I've read the papers, I've looked at the science, and don't worry, you just need your blood work done, you just need this and you just need that. I have worked and met people that are on prescription medications that they need that in order to survive. And yet they, who are taking that under an actual medical doctor, have to take it to survive. And do you know what they say? They say, I wish I didn't have to take this because it is fucking my life up and yeah. it's actually destroying my body. And 
for someone to go and start taking stuff like that where there's nothing wrong with you mm-hmm. is there i mean it just seems crazy to me the age is getting younger and younger you're getting more yeah. and more young recreational lifters in their first year of training hopping on the juice and going yeah. back to what you said about blood work and everything there is a really famous bodybuilder who dropped off in the last year or so i'm not going to name his name but um he was getting blood work done. Yeah. He was doing everything right, quote unquote. He was even taking extra medication to counter the side effects of steroids. And his heart still gave out on him. And he's now dead. And he's got young children as well. It's interesting because when you talk to particularly younger guys, if you say, oh, if you take that, yeah, you'll get more muscular. But I mean, you're probably going to live to maybe 30, 40 doesn't make much of an impact on some of them if you say oh you know it's going to make all of your hair fall out in your you know potentially have uh you know not be able to have children or anything like that again probably doesn't make much of a difference if you say well your dick's going to get three or four inches smaller then they'll start listening <laughs> that's how fucked up this sort of thing is yeah And I learned an interesting fact, which is something that apparently I'm not supposed to tell clients or anything like that. But I learned an interesting fact about dick size and fat people. (laughs) Please share. I'm not going to. What I'm going to do is I'm going to make him wait and we'll do it on the extended edition. I'll say it on the Patreon because... I can do that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, guys, if you want to hear about a fun fact about dicks and fat people, please stay tuned. But anyway, so one of the things that we were talking about, obviously, was training. And a lot of people have access to gyms and stuff like that. And Mm. the training really isn't that difficult. I mean, recovery, to a certain extent, can be a little bit of an art form that people need to suss out over time. Because it's about fitting things into, like, your everyday life, I think, a lot of the time. Um. However, there are people of a certain demographic of people that don't necessarily have access to that. And yet they still go for slightly more unusual forms of training. But they don't necessarily do the whole, uh, you know, progressive overload thing in a conventional way. Mm. And one demographic of people is prisoners. Yeah. So what I find really, really interesting about researching and looking at people that train in prisons because there was a big thing at one point where they used to have like on all the old movies and that there would be like a in america in the penitentiary there'd be like an outdoor courtyard where they're all dodgy people people. yeah lifting weights and stuff like that actually i think that was true to a certain extent but um they started removing a lot of fitness equipment and stuff from prisons and also you don't get fed that much in prison yes and yet from body weight exercises alone that was having quite an interesting effect and people have built some really strong bodies and quite impressive looking bodies from doing that however the way that you need to progressively overload is a little different and the reason why it works for certain people in prisons and not the everyday person outside of a prison that all goes down to what you understand about progressive overload and recovery Mm -hmm. because they don't do a couple of sets and then that's it i'll do my training tomorrow or the day after they do multiple sets a bit like skill work Mm. per day yeah so what they're doing is they're doing a lot of volume but they're also not really doing a lot so they can build muscle and stuff from quite a poor diet partly because they're not expending 
the sort of calories that you would do if you have a job. They have a huge amount of time on their hands and you're basically doing a lot of skill work and a lot of volume, pull-ups, chin-ups, push-ups, crunches, all of that sort of stuff. And then also apparently being in a high testosterone environment mm. where you might end up getting shanked or something like that has been proven by science to be a real good thing for gains. <laughs> <laughs> Who'd have thought it? It's, it's really interesting with like prisoners because... They're, they're training with high amounts of volume and obviously high amounts of frequency, mm. but they yet they're building muscle. Yeah. And, and I think the reason that is, is because the intensity is quite low. So the actual mm. amount of weight they're lifting is relatively low. So I spoke about this on my Instagram a couple of days ago about the uh, triangle of programming and you have volume, intensity, and frequency. And when you raise one of those areas, the other two kind of have to decrease. So if you raise your intensity weight relative to your one rep max, then most likely your volume or your frequency will have to lower. And if you raise your frequency, then your intensity or your volume might have to go down. So with prisoners, they've got very high volume and they've got very high frequency and they can get away with that because the intensity is very low. So it's all about adjusting those variables. That's interesting. Yeah. So with regards to kind of the pull-ups and the push-ups and the stuff in prisons and stuff like that, then also because it is body weight, then unless you've got your cellmate or something like that and you're doing piggyback farmer's walks or some shit <laughs> yeah. like that, you know, donkey calf raises, right? <laughs> um, then that is it for the regular edition of the podcast. If you want to hear all sorts of next level, you know, info you need to join the patreon next level knowledge bombs yes